If you're ready for the word, let's get into this. Of course, we're, ta- we're in this series on, on the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about the eight Beatitudes, and today we're going to try to cover uh, uh, three of them if we can. So we're going to talk about three of the Beatitudes, or like I like to call them, the three beautiful attitudes. And we've been saying everyone's got attitudes, it's just not all beautiful, you know, but we appreciate those. You know, you didn't amen me right there, but let's, let's face it. We've all had our moments. You're having a moment right now. It's called lying in the spirit. Amen. I said we've all had our moments. We've all been Noah in the tent, you know. <laughs> we've all had those moments, but uh, thank God for the beautiful attitudes that we can have if we follow Jesus. Amen. Now, here's, I want you to understand something about the eight Beatitudes, because the more I study it, the more I get into it, the more I'm just getting blessed by it, because I'm, I'm beginning to understand, and I want you to understand that the, it's not just a list of eight random attitudes, but that these eight attitudes, Beatitudes, actually build on one another. There's a progression here. Actually, what it is, it's like a ladder. It's like climbing a ladder. And here's the thing, if you get halfway up the ladder and you fall off, you don't start in the middle again. you got to start at the bottom rung again, right? You can't, you can't just start where you fell. <laughs> and you might be on the very last rung and just about there, and you say, man, I got this thing whooped, and then you blow it because you lost your humility. Now you have to start over again. And I'm beginning to see how beautiful Jesus built these one upon another. And it's like climbing, you know, the stairway to heaven. Not the song, but Jacob's Ladder, okay? Climbing the stairway to heaven. So it starts off with a confession of need. And I've I've said that I've prayed for some of your family and relatives because until they realize that they even need Jesus... They're not going anywhere. As long as they think they got this under control and I'm in charge, I'm going to do things my way, the other steps are useless. You're not going to even forget the other ones. So you have to admit you need him first to receive him. Got to need him to receive him. And then the second step is mourning. So you understand I need him, and then you begin to understand that not everything in my life is right. And I've offended God. And you begin a process where you actually mourn. You, you regret the sin that you've, that you've uh, committed, and you mourn over sin. And then, then the third step on the ladder is you become humble. Getting closer to Jesus doesn't make you more prideful. It makes you more humble. So we become meek, and we become humble. Humble. I'm getting ahead of myself because the fourth one is getting hungry. We get hungry. <laughs> so we, you know, and so after, after you experience humility, you start to get hungry for more of him. It, it's a process. It, it's, it's one of the steps on the ladder where you finally, you're finally dealing with some stuff in your life, and now you start getting hungry for God. Sometimes we have to go back to those steps and redo them, getting hungry so now we get to the next three. I'm going to try to do three Beatitudes today. And the next one is mercy. And I want to talk in terms of the mercy dividend. You get a dividend when you show mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. 
talks about this. Blessed, say blessed, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Remember we said what is blessed, not just blessed the way we think of blessed, but the word literally means approved. God loves you. He doesn't always approve. Come on, it's like almost noon. You should be awake by now. Did you just wake up? What is it? Approved by God. If you show mercy, you're approved by God. He loves everyone. He doesn't approve of anyone, everyone. And we need to start thinking in those terms. Listen, there's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is to people that uh, is blessing to those who uh, uh, do not deserve it. But mercy is for those who are just plain miserable. <laughs> it's not about deserving, undeserving. It's about you just need it. You, you, you're just in a miserable place, and you need mercy. Someone said mercy is not just compassion. Mercy is compassion in action. It's feeling, you know, sorry for someone or sympathetic, but doing something about it. Doing something about it. It's putting your money where your mouth is. It's not saying things, well, I'll pray for you. Well, that's good. That's not mercy. That might be faith, but it's not mercy. And chances are it's just getting you off the hook. Mercy is taking action with your compassion. Now, here's nothing about this mercy. You say, well, if I show mercy, mercy, then God will save me. No, this is not about salvation. You can't earn salvation even by, you know, forgiving somebody, therefore I'll be free. No, no, you got it backwards. Mercy is not about salvation. Mercy is what we do to, to demonstrate the character of God. Because he forgave me, first step. Then I am willing to forgive others. But it's important that you do it. Because if you don't, there are consequences. It, listen, mercy can't earn you salvation, but a lack of it might cause you to lose it. Oh, we're in trouble right there. Three hand claps. The rest of you are just going like, I hope he's not really looking at me. It's, about, it's not about getting saved. It's how we act after we're saved. And mercy releases blessings, unforgiveness, a lack of mercy brings bondage. Matthew chapter 18 is this story about the guy that owed like $10 million, whatever it was. And the guy forgave him of an enormous debt. I mean, enormous. I mean, in today's money, it's like $10 million. And then this other guy owed him like $1,000. And he wouldn't forgive him that debt after he was forgiven $10 million. How many know there's something wrong with that guy? Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked. If I don't forgive people, does that make me wicked? I mean, I'm going to preach whether you agree or not, but it helps. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Huh? And he really had no way to pay it back. 
Should you not also have had compassion, mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Wow. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This is serious business. Later on, we'll see where Jesus just says, don't be, don't be bringing your little gift to the altar here when you haven't forgiven somebody. I don't want your gift. That's fake worship. That's empty worship. That's useless worship. Get it right. Take your little gift <laughs> and go make it right with whoever you're upset with, whoever things aren't going right with, and then bring, then I'll accept your gift at the altar. Anybody getting this? Amen. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And forgive us our debts. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount we'll get to later. You know, in fact, uh, the Lord's Prayer, we could do a whole series just on that. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're not going to go through it piece by piece. But forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he said to that guy, he turned him over to the torturers. I, I, think, I think the problem with a lot of church people today is since we have not forgiven some people, we're in, we're in the hands of the torturers. It's why there's no peace in your life. It's why there's no joy in your life. That's why you're angry all the time. You fuss. Every time you see that person, you spiral. You get triggered. That's not Roy Rogers' horse. It's going to be one of those sermons. I feel it already. You get, you get triggered every time you see somebody, and you actually justify, well, that person triggers me. Not if you forgave them. The trigger will go away. Oh, come on. You're, you're in the hands of the torturers. Your life's not right, and you're blaming them. Well, it's all their fault. No, it's your fault. Well, I can't, we can't forgive them and let them off the hook. You're not letting them off the hook. If they won't forgive you, they'll answer to God for what they've done to you. If not in this life, in the next life. Amen. Don't worry about it. God, is, God said, revenge is mine, saith the Lord. He'll take care of your little revenge and pity party, whatever you got to have. Just forget it. You need to get off the torturer's hook. And he said, if you'll have mercy, if you'll show forgiveness, then he'll show it back to you. Again, that's not about salvation. It's after you're saved. Because I don't know about you, know, I know some of you hadn't sinned in 25 years, but I need him every hour. Wow. Unforgiveness brings bondage. Let's go to the second, the second beatitude I want to talk about today, and I'm going to title it 2020 Vision. How many want to have spiritual 2020 vision? Matthew 5 8. Matthew 5 8. Is this okay? Blessed are the Approved by God are the pure in heart, for they and only they, the emphasis is always on that, they and only they shall see God. 
Now listen, we're not just talking about sweet by and by here. And I know you can't physically see God, but how many know you can see Him in the Spirit? You can get revelation. You can feel His presence. And I'm, I'm just believing that more of us need clearer vision to see more of Him than we've ever seen before. But the problem is impurity gets in the way. Psalms 24, verse 3 and 4, you're, you're familiar with this, I'm sure. It talks about, you know, who shall, see, who, who, I'm sorry, who may ascend, right, into the hill of the Lord, or who will stand in his holy place? Who? Good question. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, they will, they are able to ascend. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, talks about this. He said, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. You know, if Jesus washes you, you are clean. He gets behind the ears. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I know we think we don't have idols, but we do. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take take the heart of stone out of your flesh and replace it with a heart of flesh. What does purity mean? It means not mixed, unmixed. It's used, it's translated some places to as clear water or metal that has no alloy in it, or grain that has been winnowed and all the husk and all the, all the stuff you don't want to eat is off of it. We're pure when we get all the junk out of our lives. And we now are pure seed, uh, ready to be used of the Lord. God can't use you, and you can't see Him if you have junk in your life. To be pure means mm, no mixed motives, no divided loyalties, no double-mindedness. It's, it's kind of neat. It's the Greek word catharsis. Familiar to anyone? The word cathartic? And people say, I had a cathartic moment. What does that mean? I had a moment of clarity. People say, I had, I had a moment where everything became clear, and I, I began to understand. I, I went through a crisis, and I came through it. What they're saying is I came through it, and now I've, I've gotten rid of all the confusion in my head, and now I can think clearly, purely. That's what he's talking about, purity. And listen, when we say purity, it's not just the externals. When I came into the church, it seemed like it was always about the external. It was about how you looked and, you know, how you dressed and all that. And some of that is certainly important. I mean, we need to be careful of how we look and how we talk and all that stuff, right? But it's not just about the external. It's about the internal. Listen to what Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter um, 23 and verse 25. He says, it, <clears throat> woe to you, church people. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 
scribes and Pharisees. I don't know how I got church people out of that. Hypocrites. Well, those were the church people. Church leaders. Come on. They were the preachers of the day, so you're off the hook. You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. You wash the outside. But inside, they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Yikes. Blind church people. First cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are the whitewashed tombs, which indeed are beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. They would whitewash these things, but after a good rain, it all returned. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So you take a cup, and if I, let's, let's, this is not a cup, but it's close. And if you saw a lot of dirt and grime on the outside, and you saw me drinking it, you would judge me. You would say, he's drinking from a dirty cup. Not necessarily. It may be dirty on the outside. I may have cleaned the inside. See, if you're, if, you're not, if you're not pure on the outside, people will judge you. If you're not pure on the inside, you'll make people sick. You can drink from a dirty cup if it's dirty on the outside. If it's dirty on the inside, you're risking the coronavirus or something. I, I had to bring it in somewhere. You're, if you drink from a dirty cup, you're going to get sick. You know, it just makes sense. If you wash the inside, the outside's probably going to get clean as well. But the Pharisees were only concerned about how they looked on the outside. You know, here, here's the thing. You know, if you, were, uh, if you wanted to be a priest, first of all, you had to be from the tribe of Levi, so just not anybody can do it. You had to be a man, right? Women weren't allowed. And, um, and, and, and here's one of the things. You could not have any blemishes on your body. In fact, they listed the blemishes. I would like to see that list. Maybe. Because probably most of us would be uh, disenfranchised right now. You know how many blemishes they listed? 147. I didn't know there were 14 blemishes. 147, I mean, they checked you. Talk about a strip search. It got ugly. I tell you, they, they checked you out. And if you had any blemish at all, you could not be a priest. They didn't care. They didn't care about your behavior. They didn't care how you treated people. They didn't care how you talked or, or your inner motives. All they cared about is, let's make sure this guy does not have one of 147 blemishes. And Jesus said, you hypocrites, get the inside of the cup clean, and the outside will take care of itself. If you're hearing what I'm saying, say, praise the Lord. Amen. And here's the thing. If you're pure, you can see God. And I believe it is by stages and levels. I, I, because none of us are perfect. 
How about the rest of you be honest with me? Wives, you could have at least said that about your husbands. We, we, we're not perfect, but we're getting there. We're wanting to be more and more like Jesus. And the more imperfections you can get out of your life, the more you're going to be able to see God. Oh, glory to God. I want to see God. Not with that junk. You know, I, 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 for, for over 50 years, I wore glasses. And at the end of that, I began to develop cataracts on one eye, then the other eye. And I had to go in for surgery because, and I didn't, how many know if you've had cataracts, you really don't realize it at first. Just, you know, your eyesight's going, but you're, you're not really aware that you're losing it until it gets so bad, until you start running in defense posts, then you're like, I, I think I need to get my eyes checked. When it gets so bad, you put your hand there and you don't realize you run into your own hand, that's bad. So I began to realize that, and, and they would go in with lasers and cut your eye open. I asked the doctor, I said, Doctor, what did you all do before lasers? And they said, we would literally go in and scrape your eyeball. And at that point, I got out of the chair and hugged my doctor. I'm so glad I live in this day and age. And before they knew how to do that, you just went blind. The cataracts kept increasing. So right after the cataracts, I had like 20, 30 vision, and, and I, I can drive without these. I can see you all pretty well. In fact, maybe it's better if I don't wear these. It's just sometimes when they crowd too many, too many words on that screen back there, I can't quite read it. I can read that fine. <laughs> so I, I, I'll wear them sometimes. Sometimes I don't. It's nice to wear them at night. But the point is impurity brings cataracts to your spiritual eyes, and you are not able to see his glory. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 says, to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering, through the washing of the pure water of the... All that he does in us is designed to make us a mature church for his pleasure. Until we become a source of praise. Did you know you can be praised to him? And glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Wow. Those are the people that will see God. Maybe another illustration is, look, you know, I don't know how many, you know, you've heard the expression, I don't do windows. I don't, I don't do windows. But after a while, when you see more what's on the window than what's through the window, when you look out your window and, uh, and what you really notice is all the junk on the window, you know, uh, then it's time to wash the windows inside and out. All right? And I think some of us, we can't see God. All we see are the flaws and the problems and the sin and the negative stuff that's in our lives that blinds us to who he is. How do we fix that? He said, basically, obviously through prayer, obviously the longer you stay in his presence, the more you become like him. But I like this, through the washing of the word. 
just reading the Word and being serious about it literally puts you through a process where you become, listen, if you're not reading your Bible, you're collecting dirt. You're collecting dirt. That window pane is spider webs and all kinds of nasty. It's time to wash through the Word. Listen, there's, there's several illustrations. I, I, I know I repeat them over and over, but I, I really like them. And for some of you, you have to attend 10 years to hear. It's the one about the coal basket and the old. He was trying to teach his grandson to read the Word. And he said, ah, I've read the Bible. I don't need to keep reading it. You, know, you read it once, you're done, right? It's the only book in the world that doesn't work that way. <laughs> he said, see that old coal basket? Go down to the river. Go down to the creek and bring me some water. He takes the wicker coal basket, runs down to the creek, fills it up with water. By the time he gets back to the house, what happens? Oh, it's empty. The old man says, well, maybe if you run faster. If you just try harder, you can be pure, right? You can hold water if you just try harder. So the boy runs. He gets back, and it's almost empty again. He says, well, maybe if you really ran harder. So he does it about three or four times, and finally he's like, Grandpa, this is not going to work. I can't get enough water here. It all leaks up before I get here. He said, yeah, but look at the basket and all the coal dust. Coal dust. Listen, you can't just hold the word. You can't just read a word once and say, okay, I got it. No, there's levels of that word. You could read it a hundred times. I know what I'm talking about. I've, I've preached like, what, we counted it once. What was it, 4,000 sermons? And I never repeated one. <laughs> but we got into the word, the same scripture so many times. And how many times, even like, I don't know, like uh, certain books of the Bible, we, we've done uh, like Ruth. We've, I, I preached like three series of the book of Ruth without looking at the previous series. Just new, just new stuff. You just go deeper. It's like peeling an onion. You just, listen, the Word of God is so rich, and the more you read it, it just washes you. It just removes all the coal dust until there's nothing but just pure wicker. The way it originally was made, that's what we need, that kind of purity. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let's get to the third one real quick. The title of this is, Who's Your Daddy? Man, if you were closer, I'd have you ask your neighbor. Matthew 5, 9. Watch this. You'll, you'll understand maybe. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Why are, why are they approved by God? For they shall be called sons and daughters of God. You want to be a king's kid? You need to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. We got enough troublemakers. We need more peacemakers. And by peacemaker, I don't mean, I don't mean someone who just avoids conflict. I, I don't mean, you know, laissez-faire, you know, I just, you know, just keep your hands off, just let things go. I just don't get involved. Uh, I, you know, appeasement. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about shalom. We're talking about we're talking about restoring wholeness to relationships, relationships between each other and between us and God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who know how to help restore relationships. 
And there are so many scriptures. We don't, we don't have time to re- read them all, of course. You can get into the scriptures and go into it. But let, let's throw up this diagram. If you would imagine a pie with, with um, you know, cut into eight different pieces. And if you're, a, if you're a troublemaker, you're probably on the outside edge of that. And that's how far away, if you're in that gray area, you're that far away from people in the yellow area or people in the blue area. Across. You're, you're a long ways from people. And by the way, God's in the center, so you're a long way from God. So let's take the journey to the center. As you get closer to God, you get closer to each other. Let's do it the other way. As you get closer to each other, you get closer to God. You can't have one without the other. Don't, you can't have this added, it's just me and Jesus and I'm a tree hugger. We've done a lot of tree hugging. I, I've been out in the woods just worshiping Jesus because we, we couldn't even come to church, remember? Until we, and then later on, all we got to do was circle the wagons out there. That's all we got to do. <laughs> Kept the Indians out. That's what we did. We got to get to the center Peacemakers push people to the center. And as we get to the center, we just naturally get closer to each other. And as pastor, it's been my observation that, you know, we think that's a good thing. But actually, the more we find out about each other, we tend to go like this. And then it's like, no, I don't think so. Listen, the more you get to know someone, the more things you're going to find out about them that you don't like. It's, It's like, oh, I wish I could preach here for a while. It's like Noah in the tent, right? Don't let just anybody in your tent because they'll see things and talk about it. You know, as as pastor, I want to get close to people, but, you know, they kind of teach you in school, don't get close to your people because if you get close to them, they'll find out who you are. You got to be high and lifted up. I'm representing the Lord. And then you find out, you pull the curtain back, and then you find that little man from the Wizard of Oz. Not what I expected. But, but I don't care about that. I, I am just who I am, and you're going to have to accept me the way I am. I don't mind, I don't mind getting close to people. I don't mind just, just being another joke. Listen, when I'm not in the pulpit, I just like to cut up with the rest of you. And I can catch up. I can keep up with you. Amen. Why not just be ourselves Amen? He said, well, if you're not on a pedestal, they won't respect you. Know what? You know what? If you just live a godly life, I believe people will respect you. And I believe people will respect you if you'll be your sanctified self. Am I right or am I right? You choose. Yeah, that's that whole thing about falling off the pedestal. The higher it is. But here's the thing. Let's close with this. We'll let let the worship team come. So Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're a peacemaker... Listen to me. If you're a peacemaker, you get the inheritance. You're a child of God. If you're a peacemaker. If you're a peacemaker, you are a child of God. We qualify for inheritance. You are in the will. You are in the will. How many want to be in the will? Well, quit being a troublemaker. Be a peacemaker because that's what identifies you as a son of God. That's what says I'm family because I'm a peacemaker.